Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And we're about to talk about the movies, which is one of my favorite topics. And uh, one of my favorite movie people is here to talk about one of our favorite topics. John Hersker is here to talk about The Godfather, right, John? That's right. Oh, this is so good. Coming very soon to a theater near all of us. When Friday gets here, if we're all still here, we might be blown away because we're not in Kansas anymore. Um, But it's so good to see all these movies on the big screen. You can talk a little bit about the series before the Kirby was the Kirby and how you were involved in it in case people missed you last time. And they shouldn't have, but... Well, I'm uh, lucky enough to be on the board of the FM Kirby Center, and uh, we've all been very excited about the fact that this year is the 80th anniversary of the opening of the venue, not as the Kirby Center, but as the Comerford Theater back in 1938. And, uh, of course, most Wyoming Valley residents who were around in the 50s, 60s, and 70s remember the theater as the Paramount Theater, as it was later renamed. And, of course, it's been the FM Kirby Center for the Performing Arts uh, since 1986. But we thought it would be fun to commemorate the 80th anniversary of the opening of the, the- as of the theater as to go back to the roots of the theater, the cinematic roots, and to show movies that actually played at the theater when it was called the Comerford and later the Paramount. And so we're doing that all year long. And each month we show a classic film that played at that venue. And, of course, this month's entry is The Godfather. We'll get to that in just one moment, but in case people also missed your backstory, you've been involved with the movies since since birth, right? Since birth, yes. Since birth, that's it. I was born into a, a movie theater-owning family. Uh, my parents owned the Hersker Theater in West Hazleton, Pennsylvania, which uh, is still operating under different ownership as the Cinema and Draft House. And uh, actually, my grandfather and great-grandfather had operated theaters prior to that in Hazleton and Pottsville and Mahanoy City and other places. So I was born into the family, grew up uh, living next door to the theater and worked in the theater basically every chance I got and uh, and loved it and was a big part of my childhood. And uh, one of the movies we played at the Hersker when I was growing up was The Godfather. So. Yeah, what was what was that like for you from your recollection? What do you uh, it remember? It was uh, very thrilling. We had to uh, we had to fight very hard to get the picture. Uh, in those days, they had something called competitive bidding, where the theaters would bid for the right to play a movie. And my mother took out a loan. By that time, my dad had passed away. My mom took out a loan from the local bank to put up the money to play The Godfather. And uh, so it was a bit of a risk for us, but uh, it set all kinds of records. We played it 10 weeks, and uh, it was a very, very memorable part of my childhood. Now, you didn't stop at just working in the movie theater. You moved on, and you went out to work for Paramount. And if I recall correctly, you found some documentation about this whole situation with The Godfather and your family, right? Yes, I did. I um, When I uh, graduated uh, from MMI uh, high school in, uh, in uh, 1976, my mom sold the business and I went off to college. But then later I went to work for Paramount Pictures in their theatrical distribution department in their Philadelphia branch office. And um, 
uh, have researched uh, some of the uh, history, including what the competitive bids were against para, against uh, the, uh, for the right to show the film in Hazleton, and found a lot of good documentation, including the grosses for when the movie played um, in the uh, in uh, the Paramount Theater in Wilkesboro. As I said before, people thought this was a documentary. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, there certainly are very realistic aspects in The Godfather that may make it seem like a documentary to some people, yes. Especially who live here. Yes. Now, uh, The Godfather also, was that one of the last movies in the Paramount before the flood? It was uh, the last movie to show... Um, uh, the, the the movie uh, that actually was on the marquee in that there's a great photo and it's up on the internet people can find it uh, it's, it's a very tragic photo of uh, downtown Wooksbear with several feet of water from Hurricane Agnes and the movie on the marquee is a clockwork orange which was the movie that was scheduled to open the day uh, that the floodwaters poured into downtown Wooksbear but The Godfather had opened in March of 1972 and played for what was and remains a record 13 weeks at the theater, the longest running movie ever to play at the Comerford slash Paramount slash Kirby Theater. And it ended just as the Hurricane Agnes was making its way up the coast. What a cool story that is. So at Paramount, you got to know um, some of the people responsible for this movie, right? At least uh, a guy who was instrumental in saying, we want this movie to be made, right? Well, yes, and that was a thrill to me, having been a kid who worked the Hersker Theater in West Hazleton when the movie played, to get to know Robert Evans, who had been the uh, uh, head of production at Paramount Pictures in the 1960s and early 1970s, and who really revived the studio. Paramount uh, went through a real slump in the in the early to mid-1960s, and uh, its corporate owner Gulf and Western was even contemplating selling off the studio and Robert Evans became the head of the studio and revived uh, the company with films like Love Story and Rosemary's Baby and uh, he was the one who early on acquired the rights to The Godfather and so yes I got to meet him when I was working at the studio and uh, he had wonderful stories about the movie many of which he's told publicly and, and are in his autobiography The Kid Stays in the Picture. So he, he liked the idea of this motion picture, but a lot of people had to be convinced, and there was a lot of back and forth about the movie itself, the director, and the casting, right? Well, he had to uh, contend with a lot of opposition, even within his own company, which is a little amazing because, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners remember, The Godfather was a best-selling book. Um, he did not acquire the rights to The Godfather as a best-selling book. It, it happened even earlier where Mario Puzo, the book's author, came to him and said, I have a treatment for a book, and, and uh, if Paramount would like to acquire the rights even before it's published, I'd be happy to sell those. And so Robert Evans took an option on the book for the movie rights, and then when it became a huge bestseller, he thought he was holding you know, the golden ticket because he had the rights to the book that everybody in the country was reading. But it was not an easy thing to get the film made. There was a lot of opposition within uh, Gulf and Western, as I said, the parent company headquartered in New York, to making this movie. Uh, one of the reasons being that a number of recent movies about organized crime had failed at the box office. And uh, so there was a thinking that perhaps The Godfather, even though it was a best-selling book, would suffer the same fate. Was there any um, trepidation of making it because of 
the theme of organized crime in general? I mean, you know, we know what's not mentioned in The Godfather, but were there people who just thought, no, we're not going to we're not going to poke the bear? Yes. And that uh, that came to light when Robert Evans, uh, the head of Paramount, is is trying to attract a an A-list director and a number of very prominent directors turned down making the movie. And uh, part of the again, there was concern about movies about organized crime had not done a lot of business recently. But there was also that concern. Some people told Evans, you know, this movie sort of glorifies uh, that world, and uh, we don't we don't really want to be a part of it. So he was desperate to find a director, and uh, his corporate bosses in New York were urging him to sell the movie rights to Burt Lancaster because he wanted to make the movie and star in it as Vito Corleone. And it almost came down to that, and at the last minute, uh, Evans and his, uh, his uh, number two guy in production, Peter Bart, came up with an idea uh, for who to direct the film that really saved the movie for Paramount. All right, we'll talk about that. We'll have a cliffhanger. We're going to take a break, and uh, then we'll be back to uh, talk about The Godfather, which will be shown this coming Friday, April 20th, at the FM Kirby Center in downtown Wilkes-Barre. Showings at 1 p.m. and 7.30. The matinee is $3, and the nighttime showing is a whopping $5. So uh, th- this is a great way to see these movies, by the way. I caught uh, two of them already, the the Molly Maguire's, which was great, and then uh, Casablanca, which is uh, a- an amazing story. So I, I saw them, and they look so good uh, up on the screen, but we'll talk about uh, getting uh, the-, the the director they wanted, and then some of the fighting over the casting of the, you're, you're just not going to believe some of the people that were considered for this and highly sought, and there was fighting about it. You'll say, really? Are you sure? But we'll talk about that. Talking about movies, because our audience loves movies, and I discovered that last time when John was here, that you guys, you have a thing for the movies. The Godfather will play on Friday, April 20th at the Kirby at 1 o'clock and 7.30. The 1 o'clock is 3, and the evening is $5, so it's reasonably priced. Now... We wanted to talk about getting uh, the proper director for this movie and how this all transpired. Francis Ford Coppola seems like the proper director, but at first was not really that keen on it, right? Well, Francis Ford Coppola was not a named director. He had uh, had directed a couple of movies that had flopped at the box office. Uh, he was as known uh, for being a screenwriter as for being a director. He wrote the screenplay for Patton, which he actually won an Academy Award for. But uh, as a director, he had not had a great deal of success. But the idea that Robert Evans, the uh, studio head of Paramount, uh, and his number two guy, Peter Bart, came up with was that these earlier gangster films that had been made in the 60s, and Paramount had just released one a couple years earlier called The Brotherhood with Kirk Douglas, which did no business at all. And they decided that the reason these movies about organized crime, Italian-American organized crime families, had not done business is they weren't directed by Italians. And they said, here, let's get a director. And Francis Ford Coppola was, became the obvious choice because of his Italian-American heritage, who will really give the film an authenticity. As Evans said, we want to be able to smell the spaghetti. The only problem was Francis Ford Coppola didn't want to make the movie uh, at first because he wasn't interested in a movie that might glorify organized crime until he began to conceive of it not as really a crime movie, 
but as a family chronicle about the succession of power. And that, of course, is, is how The Godfather really became elevated to be more than just a uh, routine organized crime movie. And so Coppola agreed to direct on that basis, and so Evans was able to keep his bosses in New York from actually selling the rights to Burt Lancaster so that he could make the film and star as Don Vito Corleone. Where was the movie made? And um, you, you told me there was a little bit of resistance to it, even when it was in production. Well, it was made in the New York area, and um, uh, there was resistance from um, certain um, public figures in the New York area who, as the uh, press would uh, describe them, were reputed uh, mob figures, uh, because at the time there was a great deal of sensitivity uh, to uh, the kind of the stereotype. Uh, of Italian-American families being involved in crime. And a local figure by the name of Joe Colombo had organized what he called the Italian-American Civil Rights League that became very prominent in protesting what they perceived as uh, discrimination and, and uh, harassment by the FBI and the federal government and so on. And when they heard the news that The Godfather was going to be filmed in New York, they began sort of a public campaign against it on the grounds that it uh, defamed Italian-Americans for portraying them as, as organized crime figures. And so that became a real issue for the studio because the production was being harassed. The Gulf and Western Building, which was the uh, headquarters of Paramount's corporate parent, uh, was receiving bomb scares and so forth. And ultimately, Robert Evans and his wife, Allie McGraw, the actress who had starred in Love Story, uh, who had a young child, were themselves threatened. And so Robert Evans dispatched his producer, Al Ruddy, to meet with Joe Colombo and try to settle the issue. Then what happened? They settle it. Well, they did settle. And it began with Al Ruddy taking the script, which had been written by Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola, and saying, look, this script is, you know, a really fine script. It tells a great story. It doesn't defame the Italian-American people. And uh, Colombo was not very interested in reading the script. <laughs> uh, but uh, he was very concerned about the use of one word in particular, and that was the word mafia which uh, was a word that had become very prominent in the press in the 1960s and was one of those stereotype words that uh, people uh, of Italian descent sometimes resented. And he said, I'll make a deal with you. If you agree not to use the words mafia or Cosa Nostra in this film, you won't have any trouble from my people. And Al Ruddy agreed on the spot. He shook hands. There was, interestingly, in the script, only one reference to the mafia. And that was when Jack Walsh, the studio head, is telling Tom Hayden, played by Robert Duvall, that Johnny Fontaine will never get this picture. And uh, uh, they took the word mafia out. And it appears nowhere in the, in the film Godfather. The word mafia is nowhere in the film because that was the deal they made with Joe Colombo. And after that... The production was not harassed in any way. And in fact, a lot of wise guys uh, came to uh, appreciate the film and uh, started, uh, you know, uh, visiting the set and so on. And it actually became embraced by a community uh, that had previously been very wary of it. Let's talk about the casting, because there were certainly some interesting decisions that were considered, and people may be surprised to find out who may have been in the running for some of the parts. Well, as with everything about the making of The Godfather, uh, there are multiple sides to the story, and uh, people have their different versions. But one thing that everybody who was associated with the film seems to agree on is that Marlon Brando um, was uh, looked upon by the hierarchy at Paramount and Gulf and Western as too big a risk for the role. 
Mario Puzo says that when he wrote the book, uh, he could imagine no one but Marlon Brando playing the role. And in fact, Francis Ford Coppola came to the same conclusion himself. But they fought uh, Robert Evans, the head of the studio, and Charlie Bluter and the head of Gulf and Western, who wanted no part of Brando, because at that time, while he had been a great star in the 50s and early 60s, uh, he had a reputation for being very temperamental. He had gained weight, and the greatest sin in Hollywood, of course, is that he had appeared in a number of flops. And so he was deemed too big a box office risk. And uh, Coppola was adamant that he wanted uh, Marlon Brando. And uh, all sorts of other actors were offered up, Laurence Olivier, Ernest Borgnine, Anthony Quinn. Coppola dug in, and so finally uh, the suits at Paramount said, well, uh, we'll let him do the movie, but he, Brando do the movie, but he has to agree to very little salary. He has to put up a million-dollar bond that if any of his antics on the set cause the picture to go over budget, he'll be responsible, and he has to do a screen test. And that was a big request for somebody who had been a star of Brando's magnitude. Uh, so Coppola basically tricked him into doing a screen test. Have you ever seen it? Uh, I've not. I've not actually seen the screen test. I, I've. I've read what people have described about it. And Coppola went out to basically Brando's house to shoot it, and uh, said he was just needed to shoot some footage, makeup test, you know, that sort of thing. And apparently, what was shown on film was was transformative. Brando, who had long uh, blonde hair, uh, tied it up in the back, put shoe polish on his hair, and stuffed Kleenex in his mouth, and became, <laughs> in an instant, became Don Vito Corleone. Oh, dear. And you've told me, because I did not know this, Marlon Brando, not Italian. That's right. Not Italian at all. That's right. Well, he's not the only non-Italian uh, of the major actors. James Caan, who plays Sonny, is Jewish. And uh, he actually uh, was originally thought of for the part of Michael and was only cast as Sonny after Al Pacino got the part of Michael, which again was a huge object of contention because <laughs> the studio wanted Robert Redford. That is amazing to me. I mean, I look at Robert Redford just uh, visually, and you talked about Marlon Brando with his blonde hair and everything, but still, Robert Redford, really? Well, uh, Robert Redford was an established star. He was the right age, and they were again concerned uh, that even though the movie was a bestseller, the book was a bestseller, they wanted to increase the movie's chances for success. And they had Marlon Brando, who was somewhat perceived as a has been, so they thought they would stack the deck with Robert Redford. And uh, uh, Coppola again was adamant; he wanted Al Pacino. And Al Pacino was not famous; he'd only made one movie, which wasn't really successful, *The Panic in Needle Park*. And finally he convinced Robert Evans to let him cast Al Pacino, but Evans said, if you cast Al Pacino, then we want James Caan for Sonny, because the original actor cast as Sonny was an actor named Carmine Caraldi, uh, who uh, was very tall. And Evans was concerned that a six-foot-five actor next to Al Pacino would make them look like Mutt and Jeff. So James Caan <laughs> was cast instead. And that's often how these the casting decisions, it's almost chance or serendipity that they're made. But um, uh, Carmine Corraldi got a, a consolation prize. He was cast as one of the Rosado brothers in Godfather Two, since he lost out on the part of Sonny. Anybody else that was considered that was unusual and was left out? Uh, well, um, uh, n not so much that was left out. I mentioned all the actors who had wanted to play Marlon Brando, but one of the interesting casting choices uh, was an unknown actor named John Cazale for the part of Fredo. And he was friends with Al Pacino. They had acted together in the New York theater. And John Cazale was cast as Fredo. 
And uh, John Cazale uh, tragically died at the age of 42. He had leukemia. Uh, but John Cazale, after making his film debut in The Godfather, starred in The Conversation for Francis Ford Coppola, The Godfather II for Francis Ford Coppola, Dog Day Afternoon, and Deer Hunter. And those are the only five movies he ever made. And every one of them received an Academy Award nomination for Best Picture. And three of them won Best Picture. So John Cazale's brief filmography, brief filmography is five Academy Award nominated films. Not too shabby. John Hersker is here today to talk about uh, The Godfather and um, Flashback Cinema, which I misunderstood was one of his other business ventures. This is what happens when you have too many jobs, John. So you have a flashback cinema company that shows movies like The Godfather and other classics around the country, right? Yes, that's right. Earlier you had mentioned the dine-in theater aspect of it. That was another company I ran called Movie Tavern, um, which I uh, was CEO of after leaving Paramount, which we sold. And then I started Flashback Cinema, which is specifically dedicated to classic movies and theaters. Where can people see the flashback movies locally? Locally, right now, just at the Kirby. Okay, that's it for now. But yes. uh, it's but such we a... have we have theaters throughout the country. How many theaters do you have on this project? We have 130 uh, currently in the program, and we're adding more all the time. Because people love the big screen. Yes, no matter how many times you've seen these movies, and I'm sure you have folks listening who say, "Oh, I love The Godfather," but I, you know, I have it on Blu-ray or I watch it when they do the marathons. Trust me, when you see it on the big screen, you'll be amazed. There'll be something going on in the corner of the screen or off to the side or in the background that you say, "I just never really noticed that on the small screen." And uh, there's nothing like seeing on the big screen. I can't wait to see it Friday. When you're playing that music, I'm getting goosebumps. I want to go right down to the Kirby now and watch it. We'll I have know it's yeah. going to look great. And we'll have popcorn, right? That's right. Of course. The Kirby always has popcorn. <laughs> Which is good. Now, we talked a little bit about the casting. Let's talk about the making of the film because the book is, it's a long book. And there were some concerns about the length of the movie, right? Well, yes. And uh, here again, that's a little bit of a, uh, even even the, the truth of what actually happened has been disputed by Robert Evans and, and Francis Ford Coppola, um, who both acknowledged that they had a very contentious relationship all throughout the making of the movie. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola was uh, contracted by Paramount to provide a finished cut of the film that was no longer than two hours because uh, it was there was always concern in those days, particularly that that uh, movies that ran longer than that. Remember, they played in single-screen mm -hmm. theaters or twin theaters. It wasn't like a megaplex now where you have all these screens where you can start you know, a show every 20 or 30 minutes. If it was playing a single-screen theater and the movie ran for a long time, it meant fewer shows, and it meant less money at the box office. So Paramount contracted for a two-hour movie, and Coppola cut a two-hour movie and showed it to Evans and other executives at the studio. And Evans's account is that he was furious because he felt that the movie uh, didn't live up to the footage that Coppola had shot. And he wanted him to go back and make it longer, which is very unusual. Usually when a studio had disagrees with a director, it's because he wants the movie to be shorter. And the picture was scheduled to be released for Christmas of 1971. And it was actually pushed back to March of 1972 when it ultimately did open uh, so that Coppola would have more time to make the longer version, which is the version we all know now, um, uh, which runs two hours and 45 minutes. 
but uh, e e the, the longer running time was needed to really give it the, the texture and the atmosphere uh, that the movie has, which, again, helped to elevate it above a routine crime drama and make it this sort of epic saga of a family. What what surprises you about this movie? I know, I know you've you've seen many movies. What do you what surprises you about its success or uh, a story about it that you think is unusual? Well, I think what's really interesting is how uh, again a movie that started out as a as a book about a crime family has really uh, captured the imagination of the whole culture and. Uh, the movie is is so accessible to so many people who know nothing about uh, organized crime and have no personal experience with that because it's so relatable. The 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 movie's really a tragedy about Michael Corleone and and for those of your viewers who maybe haven't seen the movie, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's about the succession of power, who's going to take over as Marlon Brando, the godfather, uh, gives up power. And uh, it's kind of a Greek tragedy because Michael is the son who doesn't aspire to be in the family business, but through a series of events, uh, takes up that obligation to do it. And uh, in fact, those who, those who have contended that the movie doesn't really glorify organized crime point to the fact that uh, Michael brings a lot of sadness into his life because of the decisions he makes. But there's a lot about loyalty in the film. There's a lot about um, uh, courage and, uh, again, qualities that really transcend the subject matter. And that's probably why it's captured the imagination. And, of course, the casting is just so impeccable in the movie, starting with Marlon Brando and down to the smallest detail. Uh, Mama Corleone, for example, uh, the godfather's wife, uh, was played by Morgana King. Well, she had never appeared in a film, but she was a very widely uh, renowned jazz singer, and Francis Ford Coppola just saw in her physical appearance and her ability to sing, because Mama Corleone sings at the opening wedding sequence, uh, somebody who would be great for that part. And uh, the casting of his own sister, Talia Shire, to play Connie Corleone, uh, you know, there's just so many aspects of this movie. The casting is just dead on. And even Luca Brazzi uh, was played by Lenny Man Montana, uh, who was um, a, shall we say, a member of the organization back in New York. Uh, and uh, there's a the great scene in the film, which lovers of the film know at the wedding scene where Luca Brazzi, who is the very tough, scary, really brutal henchman of the godfather is at the wedding and he's sort of rehearsing what he's going to say to marlon brando the godfather when he meets him um, that was the actor lenny montana rehearsing his lines because he was very nervous about forgetting his lines and coppola just got it on film and said he's going to keep it it's it's great it's perfect for the character so there are all these little perfect you know accidents that happen in connection with this movie that helped to make it this beloved classic Certainly it did well here, as you indicated earlier, but uh, elsewhere in the country, was it? Was oh, it, it was a huge yeah. hit everywhere. It was, a, it was a, uh, a, a blockbuster. It surpassed what was then the highest grossing film of all time, which was Gone with the Wind. Uh, made its money back very, very quickly and uh, just, again, became part of the culture. How much did this help? Robert Evans and Paramount, what did it mean to them? Because it seems like this may have cost a couple of bucks to do too, right? Well, the movie was very cheaply made. Uh, th that's again one of the great ironies of this film because uh, Paramount budgeted it as 2.5 million, which even allowing for inflation, uh, even back then was a pretty modest budget. The budget eventually uh, was increased to 6 million. But the original idea was Paramount was gonna take a book uh, about a crime family and make it into a low-budget 
crime movie. And uh, they wanted, the original idea was the movie, the story is set in the 1940s. They were going to reset it in the 1970s because it would be less expensive to film. And that was one of several issues that Coppola fought them on and won. He wanted to keep it in the 1940s. He wanted that sense of history about it. He wanted to keep the time period close to the period where uh, Vito Corleone had come to this country as a young Italian immigrant. And uh, But it was, it was made rather cheaply. And, and part of the, key, the idea of keeping a low budget involved the producer, Al, Albert Ruddy, was a young producer. He had only made a couple of films, but he had a reputation for making films inexpensively. And uh, his biggest claim to fame was having made the TV series Hogan's Heroes. So they did not, you know, uh, hire really big name uh, directors, producers, uh, even stars, uh, when you consider Marlon, where Marlon Brando was in his career. The whole idea of the movie was to make it inexpensively. So they did not have the expectation that this would be the blockbuster it became. And you can see it inexpensively on uh, Friday at the Kirby Center. And uh, the afternoon matinee is $3, 1 p.m., 7.30 at night. It goes all the way up to $5. There's other films in this series. And I, I do, John, I want to talk about the next film after The Godfather because it is absolutely, it's a classic. Time flies when you talk about the movies, right? And uh, we are talking about the film series before The Kirby. Was The Kirby with John Hersker from Flashback Cinema. He's uh, one of us, and then he went away, and then he came back. So we're happy to have him here. You want to wrap up on The Godfather, then we'll talk about this little number for me. Well, I just want to uh, publicly congratulate you on your excellent taste for being willing to see the film for the first time You're welcome. this week at the Kirby. You shamed me into it. I'm just yes, kidding. I and, willingly am and going. And I envy you because you're going to see it for the first time on the big screen at the Kirby. So that's a great way to see it. Now, I just wanted to mention, I talked about Al Ruddy earlier, and I think Al Ruddy's the producer of The Godfather, is a great example of how the movie was transformative for so many people who were involved with it. As I said, he had not done a whole lot of things when he got the opportunity to produce The Godfather as a young man. But The Godfather was just one of many great successes in his career because he not only won an Academy Award for producing it, he won a second Academy Award for producing Million Dollar Baby. So uh, one of many lives that were touched in a very positive way by this film. Excellent. And uh, on Friday, May the 25th, it is going to be from 1950, one of my favorite movies of all time, Sunset Boulevard, because I, it's so amazing. I mean, just the the expressions of Gloria Swanson and, and the script are great, and it's just it, there's a lot of little there's a lot of insider baseball in that movie, though, right? Oh yes, yes. It was it was made by Paramount Pictures, and much of it was filmed at Paramount Pictures which may not sound remarkable because movies are filmed at studios all the time, but Paramount Pictures is depicted in the movie. Billy Wilder directed the film, and the movie was made in 1950, which was a period where there were still a lot of silent film stars living in Hollywood, and uh, they, had, they were still around to see how sort of the parade had passed them by because, of course, sound had come in in the late 1920s, and a lot of these older stars were had faded from uh, public view, uh, but still retained these memories of of, uh, of being uh, huge stars. And um, that's what was depicted in the film. And Billy Wilder and I.L. Diamond wrote the story. Uh, no, excuse me, not I.L. Diamond. Um, uh, Charles Brackett wrote the story about um, a faded, uh, silent film star who, who won't acknowledge that the parade has passed her by named Norma Desmond. And they cast Gloria Swanson, who was herself a great film star 
star in the silent era and who was the queen of the Paramount Pictures lot back in the 1920s. And they cast her in the role as Norma Desmond. And so there's a lot of, uh, of the film that takes place on the lot. Cecil B. DeMille plays himself. Um, William Holden uh, stars in the movie as a young screenwriter and he's working on the Paramount lot. So there's a lot of sort of art imitating life in the movie. What a nice fun day we had today. It's <laughs> nice. Uh, John, any any closing thoughts on the rest of the Before the Kirby was the Kirby series? Well, just as I said, we're going to be doing a, a movie, a new movie each month. And after Sunset Boulevard, there's True Grit and The Sound of Music and a really great lineup of movies all year. And thank you, Sue, so much for your support of this program because uh, it's... Uh, it's a great way for these wonderful movies to be experienced by local residents, and there's nothing better than seeing on the big screen at the Kirby. And I'm so glad that you're going to be there on Friday to to correct this deficiency yes. in your film education, education, where you will actually experience The Godfather <laughs> for the first time, and that's very exciting. So then thank I'll, you. I'll need a master's degree in film or something right after go. that, but it, it'll be good. John, thanks for coming in. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.